Nehemiah chapter 9 is where we're at today. Normally, I'm good at planning sermon series uh, or books through the Bible to finish at the end of the year so I can start new ones at the beginning of the year, but that is not the case for Sunday school or for uh, Wednesday nights. We're kind of in the middle of a couple of books. But Nehemiah chapter 9, and before we get into the scriptures on this, want to point out a few things. So remember, books like Ezra and Nehemiah, they can be very challenging because they're mainly historical books where they are just letting us know what happened. And so while prophets are referenced in Ezra, it mentions Haggai and Zechariah, we don't really hear their words in these stories. And that's significant because sometimes in like the book of Judges, you see it giving it a historical account of what happened. And sometimes because it was the good guy or because it was Israel, people assumed that everything they did was good and right. But the problem is uh, that was not the case. What they did was really bad. And so uh, other passages, they have a little more weight to them as far as doctrinal significance when you have the voice of the prophets speaking because the prophets are speaking the word of the Lord. And so we can build doctrine around that. These other passages, it's just telling us what happened. And a lot of times people will try building doctrine around, uh, around a portion of Scripture where all it's doing is telling us what happened. It's giving history, and you've got to watch out for that. And so, we are seeing some good men in Ezra and Nehemiah try to do a good work for God, but we don't really have God's feelings expressed in these stories for what's going on, including this chapter we're about to see here. We do not see God's feelings expressed for what they do here in Nehemiah chapter 9 in this chapter. But I believe if we go to other places in the scriptures, we can, we can know enough about God to know how he would feel and how he did feel about what Israel did in Nehemiah chapter 9. And it's important that we understand that. So when, we, when we're looking at these books, especially these chapters... There are some things God said before this event. There are some things that God said after this event. And this will help us know what to do with these actions that we're about to see. Because a lot of people will probably disagree with how I'm going to explain this chapter. But again, it, you know, I, I think the looking at the Bible as a whole is going to prove what I'm about to say. And I believe there's something that one can easily miss when looking at this chapter that we do not want to miss. If we, if we miss it, it will make it easier for people to convince you of some false teachings concerning repentance, for example, that is often preached from the New Testament. And we don't, we don't want to do that. And so while I'm doing this, or what I'm going to do, as we go through this chapter, I'm going to give you my thoughts on what is happening, and, uh, on you know, what's going on in the heart of the people, but I'm also going to show what I believe God's feelings are about what they're doing. And then I'm going to show from other scriptures my reasoning uh, you know, ba- based on passages where it's referring to God dealing with Israel. And so remember, they've been reading the law. It's been a couple weeks since we, uh, last week we weren't in Nehemiah, but a couple weeks ago we saw how they've been reading the law. They were doing their best to put some things into practice. They put the Feast of Tabernacles, something that had not happened since the days of Joshua. So these people, without a doubt, they, in their hearts, wanted to obey the Word of God. They wanted to obey the law. And so as these things are being read, 
I mean, they're taking notes. They're like, all right, you show us what we're supposed to do. We are ready to obey the law. You know what they were ready to do as a nation? They were ready to full-blown repent of their sins. They were going to repent. They were, listen, what we're seeing here in this chapter, chapter is the very definition of camp meeting style repentance that they want. These people had great sorrow in their hearts. They were sorry for their sins and they fully intended to do everything right and uh, forsake all those things that they were doing before and fully obey the law. They fully intended to do that in their heart. These people repented of their sins in every way that repent of sins for salvation preachers tell you you need to repent of your sins. But it does not tell us how God felt about what they did here. So a person can go and look at this chapter. I'll tell you what repentance is. It's in Nehemiah chapter 9. And folks, this is repentance. This is repenting of sins. But was God pleased? Was what they did, was their repentance of sins acceptable to God? You won't know for sure just from reading Nehemiah chapter 9. But we're going to go through this and then I'm going to show you other passages from before and after. And I believe we can know the mind of God on this and we will see that even though these people did the very best that they knew how to do when it came to repenting of their sins, it was not enough for a holy God because repentance of sin, we can never repent of sins enough to satisfy a holy God, which is why salvation is repenting of our unbelief and putting our faith in Christ. And I think we all know that here, but let let me just show you without proving what we believe about repentance, I'm going to show you the type of repentance many churches are preaching is not acceptable to God. And this, this chapter is a great example of the people doing that very repentance. And so verse 1, Now on the twenty and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. So they did this after they read the law of God. They're, they're in mourning. They are sorry for their sins. They have acknowledged their sins publicly. We did it. We're sorry. They are, they are determined. They, they've already instituted some things. They literally have turned from certain sins and they quit, you know, and they, they started doing things they were supposed to do. This is everything that you ought to do in repentance, uh, when it comes to repenting of sins. And it says, and the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day, and another fourth part they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. So think about that. A fourth part of the day, they're just reading Scriptures. After they would get done reading the Scriptures, they'd be like, okay, we got nailed here and here and here and here, and they would confess those things. So a fourth part of a day, that would be uh, what six, uh, six hours, right? Yeah, six hours. So 12 hours. So six hours of reading the law. Six hours of confessing their sins. I mean, they're making full day of this. Okay, there's no camp meeting preacher that's ever put anybody through this kind of repentance. But that's what they're doing right here. I mean, they are going all out. This would, I mean, this was enough that would impress any Calvinist, even that's out there. The Calvinist would be like, man, this is it. This is real repentance of sin here. And so it says... <clears throat> then stood up upon the stairs of the Levites, Jeshua and Bani and Cadmiel and Shebaniah and Bunai and Sherebiah, Bani and Shaniah, and cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, 
Sherebiah, Hadijah, Shebaniah, and Pethiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever, and blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth with all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. Thou perceivest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. So, we see some praising of God going on. That's a great thing. And so what we're about to see now is something that we see Stephen do and the Apostle Paul did the same thing whenever they would preach to Israel as a nation. Okay, What we're, what we're almost seeing right here is a sermon being preached that, it, that what I believe and what I'm going to show you, I believe they were preaching a sincere sermon to these people that had a conclusion that was not satisfactory to a holy God. Men like Stephen and Paul preached the exact same style of sermon where they go through Israel's history calling out all their sins and things they did. However, in Nehemiah, the message that we're going to see here is one of repenting of sins where... In Stephen and Paul's sermon that are just like this, the message is Jesus Christ. That, and, and I'm going to show you that. And I, I think it's important that we get this. So it's like Stephen and Paul, men like Stephen, filled with the Holy Ghost, he preaches this sermon and he gets it right. And unfortunately, Israel, while they embraced what was preached here in Nehemiah, they killed Stephen for what he preached. Think about that. Okay, now listen, if any dispensationalists listen to this, they're, 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 they're getting ticked off what I'm saying right now. But I'm going I'm to prove all these claims that I'm making against Israel. So let's keep reading. Verse 7. So it says, and this is basically just given history, but let's go ahead and read it. It says, Thou art the Lord, the God, who didst choose Abram, and broughtest him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees, and gavest him the name of Abraham, and founded found us his heart faithful before thee and made us a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Girgashites to give it. I say to his seed and it has performed thy words for thou art righteous and did see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard us their cry by the Red Sea and showed signs and wonders upon Pharaoh and upon all his servants and on all the people of his land for thou knewest that they dealt proudly against them. So didst thou get thee a name as it is this day and thou didst divide the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. And their persecutors thou threwest into the deeps as a stone into the mighty waters. <clears throat> Moreover, thou lettest them in the day by a cloudy pillar and in the night by a pillar of fire to give them light in the way wherein they should go. <clears throat> thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai and speakest with them from heaven and gavest them right judgments and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And madest known unto them thy holy Sabbath, and commandest them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses thy servant. And gavest them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought us forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hast sworn to give them. But they and our fathers dealt proudly, and hardened their necks, and hearkened not to thy commandments." And refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks, and their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and forsookest them not. Yea, when they had made them a molten calf, and said, This is thy God that brought thee up out of Egypt, and had wrought great provocations. 
Yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way. Neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them and withheldest not thy manna from their mouth and gavest them water for their thirst. Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness so that they lack nothing. Their clothes wax not old and their feet swell not. Moreover, thou gavest them kingdoms and nations and didst divide them into the corners so they possessed the land of Sihon and the land of the king of Heshbon and the land of Og, king of Bashan. Their children also multiplied, thou as the stars of heaven, and broughtest them into the land concerning which thou hadst promised to their fathers that they should go in to possess it. And you might want to underline that verse there too for the people who act like God never kept His promise to give Israel the land. Okay? Tell that to whoever's preaching here in Nehemiah. So the children went and then possessed the land and thou subdued before them the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites and gavest them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they took strong cities and a fat land and possessed houses full of all goods, wells digged, vineyards and olive yards and fruit trees in abundance so they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs and slew thy prophets, which testified against them to turn them to thee. And they wrought great provocations. Therefore, thou deliveredst them into the hand of their enemies who vexed them. And in their time of trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven according to thy manifold mercies and gavest them saviors who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before thee. Therefore leftest thou them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned, they cried unto thee, and thou heardest them from heaven. And many times didst thou deliver them according to thy mercy. And so I want you to notice a theme that we're seeing here is they always start with Abraham in these sermons. And they'll talk about all the wonderful things that God did for them, but then how they continue to rebel against God. That's what we see. And we see that happening over and over and over again. It's kind of like people who get saved over and over again. It's like, ah, I guess I didn't really repent of my sins this last time. This time, I'm going to get it right. This time, I'm really forsaken all my sins. But you know what? Next year at the camp meeting... They're getting saved again, repenting of their sins again. I shouldn't say they're getting saved again, but they're repenting of their sins again. And you can repent of your sins every day for the rest of your life, and you'll still go to hell. Because you'll never, ever, your righteousness will never be enough to please a holy God. That's why you must put your faith completely in Christ. And so, what we're seeing here in Nehemiah is them literally doing the same thing again. They're... they're they're repenting of their sins again. But this time we're going to get it right. Now let me ask you. What we just saw there, it talks about him killing the prophets and everything. That was wrong. But what did Jesus call the Jews out for when he was on earth 400 years later, some 500 years later, for killing the prophets? So did Israel as a nation repent of that sin? I mean, temporarily. But the thing is, is it really repenting of sins if you continue to do it, okay? Is it really repenting of sins if somebody goes and they commit adultery and then uh, I repent of it and then six months later they do it again? It's just like, no, you obviously didn't repent. Well, I didn't do it for six months. It was supposed to never happen. You were supposed to never do it again. Therefore, you didn't repent of your sins. So repenting of sins 
to truly do it means you will never do it again. If if that's what, you know, how we're going to do things. And so if a person is going to repent of sins for salvation, that means they can never sin again. And nobody can, nobody can do that. So verse 29, notice what it says, and testified against them that thou mightest bring them again unto thy law. Yet they dealt proudly and hearkened not unto thy commandments, but sinned against thy judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them, and withdrew the shoulder and the hardened their neck and would not hear. Notice they're calling out the hardness of their necks. Didn't Jesus call out Israel for that? So guess what? No matter what they're saying they were going to do in this story, they didn't do it. Israel did not do this. Anyone can say, I repent of all my sins. Anyone can say that. Here's the question. Are you actually going to do it? Can you actually do it? No. So just understand, if anybody, if you ever hear a camp meeting preacher get and preach through this chapter and uses this as a recipe for repentance, just understand, they didn't repent. They, all these things they are confessing, they were still doing it when Jesus came to earth. So, they didn't repent of their sins. They tried. They, they absolutely tried, but they didn't get it done. Let's read the rest of this. Yet many years didst thou forbear them and testified against them by the Spirit and thy prophets. Yet would they not give ear. Therefore gavest thou them into the hand of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for thou art a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the terrible God, who keep his covenant and mercy, let not all the trouble seem little before thee that hath come upon us, on our kings, on our princes, and on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers, and on all thy people, since the time of the kings of Assyria unto this day. Howbeit, thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Neither have our kings, our princes, our priests, nor our fathers kept thy law, nor hearken unto thy commandments and thy testimonies, wherewith thou didst testify against them. For they have not served thee in their kingdom, and in thy great goodness that thou gavest them, and in the large and fat land which thou gavest before them, neither turn they from their wicked works. Behold, we are servants this day, and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it, and it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle. At their pleasure we are in great distress. And so now notice in these next, this next verse, I believe shows where they go wrong. All this confession that they did was correct. They did everything they said they did. God did everything they said God did. They, they, all their facts are right that they've, they've said so far. But here's where I believe they go wrong. Watch this. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. So they basically told God they will obey the law now. They repented of their sins to the best of their ability. But here's the problem. They weren't supposed to make a new covenant with God. God was going to make a new covenant with them. And I don't know if maybe they got mixed up here. Because remember, Nehemiah is after Jeremiah chronologically. Jeremiah is written when he's prophesying how the Babylonians are going to take them captivity for 70 years. So now here we are. Over 80 years later, 
after they'd been restored to the land, Jeremiah had prophesied of a new covenant that God would make with the house of Israel. We all understand that new covenant was made with Jesus Christ. But here they are back in the land. That's like, all right, time for that new covenant. They don't wait for God to make a new covenant with them. They make a covenant with God. And understand, that's what a person does too. When you go to God and you say, Lord, I'm repenting of all my sins. Lord, I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to follow all your commands. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Am I now acceptable to you? That's not how it works. Okay? That's not how it works. It, we, don't, we don't get saved by coming to God, tell Him all the things that we will do for Him. We get saved by coming to God, acknowledging He did everything for us, and we believe on the Son, and then we get saved. That's, that's how it works. It's about, not about a covenant we make with God. It's about a covenant that He made with us. So Israel, they were wrong in what their, their hearts were in the right place. For the, well, and I, you know, I guess we shouldn't even say that. Their minds were in the right place. The, the fact was, they were sinful. They were really sinful. But because their hearts were not like they needed to be, they end up come, they come to some wrong conclusions. And so, I want to give some uh, evidence of this too. So look at Jer- uh, Jeremiah 31, 31. Because they're not supposed to make a new covenant with God. God's going to make a new covenant with them. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I wasn't husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write them in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. It, this new covenant, God said, I'm going to write my law in their hearts. Now, we have the New Testament. Do anybody know what that law is that is written on our hearts? It's not all these laws of the old covenant that they were trying to keep, that they decided we're going to get it right this time, even though they've already broke it as a nation. The law that God wrote in our hearts is love God and love your neighbor. That's the law that He has written on our hearts. And so, that's not what they're doing here. That's, that's not what we're seeing happen. And they're like, no, we got it this time. Now we're going to start keeping the law. We just got the Feast of Tabernacles back. We're on a roll. We've got a new, we've got a new generation of priests. They've been trained by Ezra the scribe and we're, they're going to do things right this time. We got us a new temple. We got the walls built. Look at all these things we did. Lord, we are ready to please you and impress you. No, no, they weren't. God, they made a covenant with God, but God said, no, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And it says, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord. That was the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to teach people how to know the Lord so they would recognize their sinful condition, they would understand what righteousness is, and they would put their faith in God. But the law did not was not teaching them that. And so God came and in these last days spoke by his son Jesus Christ and Jesus showed us what righteousness is. We now know what righteousness is. We now understand how bad our sin is. We understand and we understand the gospel. These things have been revealed through Jesus Christ. And so anyone who has believed on Christ, we don't need the law to teach us to know the Lord. When we believed on Christ, we were placed in that new covenant and we because we learned all the things that the law couldn't teach. Those things were immediately written on our heart. 
And so we do. We know the Lord. All who are in the new covenant know the Lord. This isn't like what the dispensationalists teach and the Ruckmanites teach, that this is referring to a time when the whole world knows God. No. Everyone in the new covenant will know the Lord, while there were many in Israel that did not know the Lord. You had men like Hophni and Phinehas that did not know the Lord. We see the Bible refer to different people within that old covenant that did not know the Lord, that were not of faith. But everyone in the new covenant, everyone in the new covenant knows the Lord. And so it goes on to say, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and in ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, which divided the sea and the waves thereof, roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all they have done, saith the Lord. And so understand, this is not prove that an antichrist movement is God's people. No, those within the covenant, those of faith, those within the new covenant, they will not be cast off, ladies and gentlemen. And you and I are included in that covenant, just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I had a clown that's been harassing me online. He wants to know how on earth, you know, Adam could be Abraham's seed. When Adam came before Abraham, and it's like, have you ever read, have you ever read the book of Galatians? Or have you read the book of Hebrews? Because Abraham's seed is Jesus Christ. And understand, Jesus Christ in Hebrews 9, it shows us how his one-time sacrifice was sufficient for all who will believe in the future and all who were under the First Testament. So, you know why? Uh, Adam is Abraham's seed. Not because of Abraham, because of Jesus. Jesus was before Abraham. Jesus was before Adam. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing the stupidity that dispensationalists creates in, in people's minds. It's, it's absolutely insane. But I don't want to get sidetracked on that. But Israel had no right to make this covenant. For one, it was not their place. But two, it was something they weren't capable of doing. And think... We, every person that you ever talk to, and they don't know, and most of them don't know they're doing this, and this is why we go soul winning. We're not hating on these people. Anyone, when we go soul winning, we ask somebody, if you died, how do you know for, or you go to heaven, or what does the person have to do to be saved? If they say anything other than believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are coming up with something or, that either they were taught or they came up with in their own heart, which is basically a covenant they've made with God. Well, you know what? I think if I get baptized, go to church, do X, Y, Z, I'm good enough. You know what, Lord? Accept this. Accept, I'm making a covenant with you, God. The covenant that I am making says if I get baptized and if I go to church and I do X, Y, and Z and I don't do A, B, and C, then you'll accept me. Do you, does God accept our covenants we make with Him? No. God made a covenant. God made a covenant. And it was a covenant with Jesus Christ and he said, you believe on him. So anything else people bring, that's them making a covenant with God. That's not how these things work and that's another reason things got messed up for Israel. But so, uh, so the fact that they made this covenant with God showed they still didn't understand how bad their sins were. You know why? 
because the law did not reveal these things to him. And Jesus Christ is what revealed. And that's what people got to get a hold of too, which is more proof we believe the same gospel that Abraham believed. Because there were, there, there were people who did learn what they were supposed to learn. But as a whole, Israel didn't learn. Okay? And, and, there was, and we don't see a mass, mass conversions and a great movement like we see in the New Testament. It was the same gospel. Okay? The same gospel that got the few saved in the Old Testament got the multitude saved in the New Testament. You say, why do we see multitudes getting saved in the New Testament? Because God, uh, the, the uh, gospel was spoken by Jesus Christ was proclaimed by Jesus Christ. It was revealed. It was revealed in a more clear way because of Jesus Christ. And that's why there's so many more saved now than there were back then. I mean, I believe there's more saved people walking the earth today than there was before the time of Christ. Why is that? Because uh, God manifested the gospel through Jesus Christ, which was better. And in reality, when it really took off, it wasn't even when Jesus was walking the earth because what did he tell his disciples? He said, I must go and I'm going to send a comforter. And he said, you'll do greater works because the comforter is going to come. So in reality, when the Holy Spirit empowered the believers, the greatest works ever were done. So yeah, that's kind of another subject I don't want to get too sidetracked on. I've, I've still got several scriptures I want to go to, but to prove what I'm saying here too about how this repenting of sins was not acceptable in God's eyes. Turn over to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 1. So let's look at some things before. Okay, This is before the Babylonian captivity. This was when uh, they were being threatened uh, by the Assyrians that was going to kick a lot of this stuff off. But it says, The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger, they are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. That's how God saw Israel during this time. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land strangers devour it in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage and a vineyard and a lodge in the garden of cucumbers as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. And that's an insult, by the way. You don't want to be called Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what God's calling Israel. To what purpose is this multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Look at that. You're bringing a multitude of sacrifices to me. Weren't they supposed to do that? Isn't this in the Old Testament dispensation? A multitude of sacrifices, that sounds pretty good. That sounds according to the law. But God said, what's the purpose? Saith the Lord, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not 
in the blood of bullocks or the lambs or of he goats. That sounds like the same thing we read in Hebrews. So well, why did God why did God even have them do it? God was trying to teach them something about their sin and about righteousness and about Jesus Christ, and they weren't learning it. But you know what they did? They went back to the law and oh look, the black words on white paper says offer sacrifices for sins. Let's go offer sacrifices for sins. It, but the problem is. It, the fact that a sacrifice had to be made for sin did not cause these people to not want to do sin. It caused them to just think, oh, I'll just sin and offer up a sacrifice. That's not what God wants. That's not the point. God wants us to have an actual change of heart on these things. God wants us to want to do right because we love the Lord. But no, for them, it just became, check, I did, yeah, oh, yeah, I committed the sin, but, check, I offered a sacrifice. Okay, now the way we do it today, we're like, yeah, I committed this abominable sin, but I'm saved. Uh, well, you shouldn't take advantage of the grace of God and grieve the Holy Spirit. I go soul winning. Okay, but have you not learned anything about God and about His Word that causes you to not want to do that sin? How about you confess and actually forsake that sin no i'm good i uh, i'm going to heaven you know i go soloing i do whatever i believe the reprobate doctrine i'm okay i mean like no you you got something really wrong in your heart buddy you sound like israel you've just found a new list you you found a new list that's what's going on here nothing in your heart has changed your heart is exactly like israel's you just have a new list that's more New Testament-ish. But you don't believe it in your heart. I don't, I don't, believe, I don't believe these people believe it for two seconds. So, let's keep reading. Uh, when ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. Lord, you called for these things. No, when it's coming from you, with your heart, it's an abomination to me. The new moon, the Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. But those things are in the Old Testament. I'm doing this stuff on the list. God said it's an abomination to me. Away with it. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. So, folks, they're doing a multitude of sacrifices. They're making many prayers. God says, I don't want it. I don't like it. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord had spoken it. How is the faithful city become an harlot? It was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. So, these people were going, Israel was going through the motions of doing the sacrifices, keeping the law. But Israel had a heart problem because in reality, 
while there were, they were offering sacrifices, you know what? They weren't taking care of the widows. They weren't taking care of the fatherless. They didn't love the Lord. So the thing is, we have the same thing today. We've got, we've got Christians today who profess the right gospel, who will ignore and deflect from all the sins that they've done because I'm doing this work. I've done this thing. I have mentally assented to this doctrine. But why would you even bring that up? Because of the fact we understand if you're going to proclaim your righteousness through the law, you're supposed to do all of it. We've all got stuff we're breaking too. Why don't you actually get convicted when it comes to any sin? God's not impressed with these things. You going soul winning to atone for your sins from the week is not pleasing to God. It's an abomination to Him. If you're doing that as penance, as atonement for your sin, it's an abomination to God. Well, I'm preaching the right gospel. Anything you can do is an abomination to God if it's to atone for sins. Faith in Christ, what Jesus did is the only thing. We see in 1 Samuel 15, we're not gonna, I don't have time to go through these scriptures, but remember when Saul disobeyed God and he didn't kill Agag and everything, but he's like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sacrifice the animals. It's not what God called for. To obey is better than sacrifice. And, uh, in Deuteronomy 10, uh, we don't, we don't have time to go through Deuteronomy 10, but Deuteronomy 10, well, he says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart. Listen, you've got a heart problem. He goes on to say, He that doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow and loveth the stranger, giving him food and raiment, love ye therefore the stranger, for ye are strangers in the land of Egypt. You know what God wanted them doing back then in Deuteronomy? He wanted them loving the Lord and loving their neighbor. And you know what? God said, circumcise your heart. And that's what happens when a person gets saved. We get a circumcision of the heart and then God writes that law in our hearts. The law He was trying to teach them back then. The way God had to teach people to love their neighbor back then is He had to say, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet. God had God had to teach it to them in those ways. But under, now, through Jesus Christ, that law is written in our heart. And if we love our neighbor, you don't have to tell us, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. You don't have to do any of those things if it's on our heart. So again, when you have people too who are professing to be Christians, saved by grace and all that too, and they just have all this hatred for everyone, you know, it is confusing. It it is confusing when they're breaking all of these laws. You know, it's just, it's, it's a very confusing thing. It sends, you know, again, hey, we're not justified by our works before God. But you're not going to be justified before me. (laughs) I'm going to think there's something really messed up. But we could go on and on with scriptures like this in Matthew or in Malachi too. Malachi is after Nehemiah, shortly after. It's not that long after Nehemiah. And look what Malachi said. This proves too Israel didn't repent of their sins. And this ye have done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. Hey, they were having camp meeting time. They were crying. God said, you're doing it again. You're doing it again. That's not what I want. We don't even have time to go through that. And so in Acts chapter 7, Stephen does the same thing. He goes through the history of Israel. He gives the history. He calls out the sin. He talks about all the things that God did. In verse 51, he says, He's stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and years. Hey, Israel confessed that, Nehemiah. But they were still doing it. In Jesus' day. You know why? Because they never repented of that sin. And you know what he preached to them? 
Jesus. You need you killed Jesus. You killed the Messiah. And man, they couldn't ha- they they understood what he was saying. And they couldn't handle it, and they gnashed him with their teeth. They took him out and they violently and they viciously killed him. As a result that you know why? Because Israel they only repented of their sins in the Calvinist camp meeting sense. That, that's it. They cried. They did a bunch of works. They did some changes. They had some reformation. But they never, they never successfully did it in the eyes of God. And so guess what? God wasn't pleased. And so God, because that's not how a person gets saved. Get it by trusting in the work of Christ. So that's all we have time for. I have more scriptures on that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this uh, story that we're able to look at and learn from. And I pray you'll help us to learn how to get to the heart of things, not just follow a couple things on the list to satisfy the people that we surround ourselves with, but we'll uh, seek to please you and uh, have the right heart in these things. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.